Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Hi church, welcome to Thanksgiving Sunday. Um, and it's the first time in almost six months that uh, we are back in church, in a sense. Uh, in the sense that I am preaching from the Jesus House pulpit in church, uh, in Brent Cross, because we've done church in our homes and we've done it so well uh, for the first time in almost six months. Hallelujah. Amen. We're continuing on our journey into the promises of God, and um, we're arriving in Exodus, the 24th chapter, um, after God has given certain regulations, uh, certain details about his relationship with the children of Israel, how they were to treat each other, how they were to behave as kingdom citizens. We arrive at Exodus, the 24th chapter, at a place where it is time to affirm the covenant, affirm the covenant that God has laid out between him and his children, uh, the nation of Israel. And I'll take the reading from the first verse, Exodus, the 24th chapter. Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. Verse 3. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments. And the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. I want to read those verses, verses 3 and 4 again. And I want you to focus on the phrase words. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel, verses 5 and 6. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar, verses 7 and 8. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, 
This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. If you want a title for today's message, The Power of Words is the title. There are three components, three things that stand out in the story I've read to you um, as the book of the covenant, the words that God had, had spoken to the people had been written in a book and the words were read to the people and the people themselves lifted their voice and with words signified their submission, their acceptance, their, their intention to obey the words. With their own words, they agreed with the words that had been spoken to them. Three things stand out in those scriptures. Number one, of course, are the sacrifices on the altar. And you know, we spent the last two Sundays dealing with the issue of altars. Number two, the blood that was sprinkled uh, on them and on the altar. And number three, the words that were written, spoken, and fought. Words that were written, spoken, and fought. That story tells us one thing very clearly, that the covenant that was made with them by God was activated by words. If they had not activated the covenant by words, despite the strength of the covenant, it was a covenant that God made with them, the covenant would have had to lie dormant because it had not been activated by words. I want to say to you that there is no difference for, for, between what happened and what we as New Testament believers have to do. We have a new covenant. It's established. It's settled. But you see, we bring the reality of that covenant into our lives when we activate the covenant by the words that we speak concerning it. The average person will speak about 16,000 words a day. If you transcribed those words, you would have a 300-page book every day. Every day, the words we speak, each one of us, if you put them into a book, it would be a sizable book, a 300-page book. Each one of us writes a 300-page book every day by the words that we speak. I'm sure you can, you can extrapolate from that, that at the end of the year, of course you would have 365, 300-page books, all filled with words. I'm sure you can extrapolate further and, further and come to a conclusion that at the end of a lifetime, you would have a library of words. We say a lot. A lot of words come out of our lives. That's just what the point I was trying to make. But then the question we have to ask ourselves is how many of these words, 16,000 a day, a 300-page book, 365 days a year, how many of these words have really mattered? How many have made a difference? How many have been spoken thoughtfully, intentionally, strategically? Or how many were careless words, negligent words, irrelevant words, trivial words, and sadly, in some cases, 
negative words, words that trapped us or hurt others. Because the truth is that words matter more than we think, more than we know. The wise king says in Proverbs 18, verse 21, your words are so powerful that they will kill or give life and the talkative person will reap the consequences. What's the moral of that story? Be careful how you talk. The talkative person, the person who has verbal diarrhea, who just can't stop themselves making flippant and irrelevant, negligent, careless, mindless words that come out of them, that person will reap the consequences because the words we speak, they can kill or give life. And if anybody understands that, that, that this tongue is a, is a weapon, that it can be used for good or it can be used for ill, for evil, for bad things. If anyone understands that truly, in my mouth, by the words that I speak, I can give life or I can kill, then we understand that there is a certain responsibility that we have to use words carefully. Jesus says that there is a cost to being irresponsible with words. In Matthew's Gospel, the 12th chapter, verses 36 and 37, he says this, You can be sure of this. When the day of judgment comes, everyone will be held accountable for every careless word he has spoken. Your very words will be used as evidence against you and your words will declare you either innocent or guilty. That's a weighty statement. That on the day of judgment, as we're being judged, the evidence that will be brought to determine our judgment, part of the evidence certainly, will be the words that have been spoken. And when, when people have spoken careless words, thoughtless words, negligent words, negative words, this will be used, Jesus says, as evidence against them to determine their innocence or their guilt. Words matter. And they matter because words are really change agents. The significance of words is more than that they're just a medium of communication. That in itself is significant. But then, even more significant, I would think, is that words are change agents. Our words can change things. They are designed to change things. The Bible says they can kill or they can give life. And if we wanted to understand this foundational, fundamental principle, about the power of words, that words are change agents. They were designed by God to bring about change. We just have to look at the example that God gives us in the Bible. And I think it is instructive 
that this example comes at the beginning of the Bible, at the beginning of creation, that would suggest to me that this example is foundational, fundamental to how we live life. Genesis, the first chapter. Let's learn from God's example. The Bible says in Genesis, the first chapter, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Bible says, when God was ready to start creation, the earth, the focus of his creation was without form and void and darkness was over it. One translation would say it was a soup of nothingness, bottomless emptiness and inky blackness. Graphic words that paint a picture. Other translations would use words like this to describe the state of the earth. Empty waste, desolate, without shape. I might as well add barren, unfruitful, and unproductive. In a sense, the earth was not fit for God's purposes. It didn't line up with what was on God's mind. God could not use it as it was. And so God set about bringing change. You know, the Bible talks about the earth, but this could easily be someone's life or a part of someone's life. Maybe someone feels like there's just no form in their life. Everything is kind of shaky. Maybe someone feels like I'm struggling, there's a void in my life, an, an emptiness, a vacuum. It looks like I'm going nowhere, I'm treading water. Maybe someone understands what the message translation calls a soup of nothingness, where there's an emptiness in a life where it seems like someone is just going through motions in cycles. What the message translation calls a bottomless emptiness, inky blackness. Maybe there's an area of someone's life that's lying in waste. Maybe some areas are desolate. Something is without shape in someone's life. It's barren, it's unfruitful, it's unproductive. It simply does not line up with what you know about what God says concerning you. It doesn't line up with what is on his mind. And what is on his mind has been expressed in his book, the Bible. And it doesn't line up with the Bible. This part of my life doesn't line up with the Bible. It doesn't line up with the word of God. So what did God do when faced with this situation? How did God deal with this? One thing to note, and it is so significant, 
when change is about to come. Is in that sentence at the end of verse 2 of Genesis 1, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Change cannot come without the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. One translation says the Spirit of God brooded like a bird over the watery abyss. Another one says the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. It paints a graphic picture. You can sense some tingling, some anticipation. It is almost like the Spirit of God is waiting to go into action. The same way that a bird broods over its eggs prior to the eggs being hatched. It's the same way that the Spirit of God was brooding over this mess, this chaos, this confusion, this darkness, this desolate situation, this unproductive, barren, unfruitful circumstance. But thankfully, the Spirit of God was brooding, hovering over it. And that tells me that if the Spirit of God was there, then I know something is about to happen. Change is about to come. And you know, I want to, I want to share something with you. A few days ago, we are praying, my wife and I, about a couple of things. Praying about, about you, about us, about, you know, what next. And my wife had in the spirit the phrase, a tsunami of change is coming. And so I want to declare to you that as you believe that prophetic utterance, a tsunami of change is coming to your life. The Spirit of God was brooding because something was about to happen. Something was coming to pass. It's as if the Spirit of God was waiting for a prompt or a trigger. And as we read, we find that that trigger came the prompt came for the Spirit to do what the Spirit was there to do, bring about change. And the prompt came when God spoke. And if it worked for God, if God followed that process, God spoke, the Spirit, the change agent was there, and as God spoke, the Spirit started to bring about change then it would serve us well to follow God's example. And as you read the rest of Genesis, you find that God progressively changes this chaotic, barren, unfruitful, productive situation, this black, inky blackness, this wasteland, this desolate place without shape, without form, void, bottomless, emptiness. We find that Progressively, it is changed as God speaks. The Bible says in verse 3, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And every time it says God said, it says, and it was so. What is the Bible telling us? That when we speak by the Spirit of God, the Word of God, change comes. 
the circumstances have to line up to the word of God. There was darkness. God spoke into the darkness. God declared that there has to be light. Let there be light. And the Bible says the darkness had to cooperate and there was light. I declare to you that as you speak into every darkness in your life, that darkness in your family, that darkness in our community, that darkness in the nation, it is the word of God when we say let there be light, there must be light and there will be light in the name of Jesus. And so he deals with the darkness. And then he deals with all the other circumstances. Verse 9, for example, Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. When he spoke, the circumstances had to obey. The waters had to suddenly obey. Dry land had to appear. It was so. Someone needs to start to speak into certain circumstances so that those circumstances can become what the person has spoken, not their own words, but the word of, words of God, so that it is so. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to his kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each according to his kind, and it was so. God spoke and the Spirit created. God spoke and the Spirit created. And it's a pattern for us. We speak and the Spirit brings it to pass. But then we must understand that it is not just speaking any words. Please hear me. The Holy Spirit is only obliged to bring God's words to pass. He is not obliged to bring what I say or what you say to pass. But he is obliged to bring God's words to pass. It is what God said, and God said, and the Spirit of God brought it to pass. So in the story with the children of Israel, whilst it is not specifically mentioned that the Spirit of God was there as the book of the covenant was read, but we know that because God was there himself, his Spirit was there. And because the Spirit was there, it wasn't just mere words being spoken. The covenant itself was being ratified by the presence of the Spirit there. And you know, when we look at Jeremiah's call, it's very instructive for us to understand how this works. Because firstly, we just have to speak. In Jeremiah 1 verse 7, the Bible says, But the Lord said to me, Say not, I am only a youth. And you know, I could preach a whole sermon about that. There are so many things I would love to say to you, say not. There are things we say that tie us up. There are things we say that bind us. There are things we say that trap us. And a lot of them 
seemingly innocent things. I fear for people when they say, I can't live without this. Because that is challenging the heavens to show you that you can live without it. Let's be thoughtful about our words. Let's think carefully about what we say. I'm so hungry I could die, some people say. I say, don't let the angels say, let's try it out. And you know some of the words that are used, you know, you'd be amazed as to how sophisticated Satan has become. So he's using words to trap a whole generation. So he says to a whole generation, when you want to say this is great, you say it is sick. I mean, how, how does that translate? The word itself is negative. And there are so many of these words that are being rehashed and brought into the vocabulary by people who don't understand the power of words. The words in your mouth can kill or give life. He says, say not. And you know some people should say, say not. You know, we joke in our family that my wife is our word police in our house. And she is. She just will not tolerate any negative word. She just won't allow it. Because she understands the power of words. He says, say not, I'm only a youth, for you shall go to all whom I shall send you, and whatever I command you, whatever I command you, you shall speak. Whatever I command you, you shall speak. We have to learn to speak. You know, I said to someone that Satan can never have the last word with me. If he says something, I am going to counter what he says with the word of God. I have the last word. You have the last word. And there is no word that is spoken. It can be great words that are spoken against you, but you have the greatest words on your tongue. It's the word of God. So, of course, Jeremiah's call tells us we speak. But then, secondly, Jeremiah's call tells us that we don't speak our own words. We speak God's words. And this is critical. It says in verse 9, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. He was going on an assignment. He had a mission, a mandate from God. And God said to fulfill this mandate, there's no other way. I have to put my words on your mouth so that when you speak, you speak my words. For these circumstances will not bow to your words, Jeremiah. <clears throat> these circumstances will not bow to your words. These circumstances will only bow to the word, word of God. And you remember, God was telling him, I want you to uproot and to plant. Uprooting and planting is not going to happen by your words, but by the word of God that God had put in his mouth. If he spoke it, it would happen. And verse 3, I mean, sorry, the third thing, verse 12, and this is so important. Then said the Lord to me, you have seen well, when he described what he was seeing, for I am alert and active, watching over my word to perform it, O oh God. Watching over my word to perform it, O oh God. When we speak God's word by his spirit, God has an obligation, he tells us. 
to make sure that the word that is spoken by his spirit comes to pass. He says, I am alert. I am active. I am watching over my word. I am jealous for my word. I care about my word. It is my word. I have a responsibility to my word. I am watching over my word to make sure that it accomplished that for which it was spoken. I am watching over my word. And so when we speak God's word, there's a responsibility that God says he has to make sure that the words that are spoken by his spirit come to pass. That's why we say it's the word and the spirit. But then I want to sound a note of caution as I come towards the end. Because you know sometimes people hear this message and they think, well, that's all we've got to do. Just sit down and speak. But in the story of creation, God does something that tells us that it is not just speaking and doing nothing. Verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let us make man. The key word is make man. And so he was speaking, but then he got to the point where he started to make he, he went into action. He did something. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle of the earth, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. What is the moral, the principle of that story? That whilst we are speaking... God also expects us to be doing. So don't think that you can sit down and speak. I prosper because God says I will prosper. He supplies all my needs. He gives me overwhelming grace so that I, all my needs are met and I have a surplus. You begin to speak, but then you don't write a CV. You don't go for an interview. You sit on your couch and you're speaking all day. You will probably have to be rescued from poverty because God expects us to do. So sometimes in the healing process, we're declaring our healing, but we're taking the medicine. The doctors have to do their part, leave God to do his part. But we're speaking by faith. Unless the Spirit of God tells us, don't do this or don't do that. God expects us to be doing. We are doing people. We are, we are created to do. Adam was put in the garden to work the garden, to tend it. And I thought it was important to say that because sometimes you get some spiritual rascals who try to manipulate the Word of God, but it's really irresponsibility couched in mock spirituality. And so as I end... I want to say to you that you are not what your circumstances tell you that you are, and you are not what others tell you that you are if it does not line up with what, God, or, what or who God says you are, who the new covenant says you are, and you activate 
the blessings of the new covenant, the benefits of the new covenant, by speaking it into being. And so if your circumstances are telling you that you are lost, tell your circumstances to read the memo, you have been found. If your circumstances are telling you that you are rejected, tell your circumstances to read the memo, you are accepted, You're, you are a child of God. If your circumstances are telling you that you are a slave, tell your circumstances. Tell, tell the addiction that I am not a slave to you. Uh, tell, tell whatever it is, the, the idol that I'm, you, you don't own me. Tell, you, tell them to read the memo, you've been ransomed, redeemed, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. If your circumstances are telling you that, that you're an outcast, tell your circumstances, haven't you read the memo, I'm a child of God, I'm, I'm, I'm in the family of God, the household of God. If your circumstances are telling you you're unloved, someone is telling you you're unloved, some character rejected you, you know, on, what's what unfri took, unfriended you, is that the word they use now? And, 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 and is hurting you because you seem, on, you seem to have been rejected. And look, tell the circumstances, tell the character that you are the beloved of God. Hasn't he read the memo? If your circumstances are telling you that you're broke, you're busted, you're, you're, you're nothing in life, tell your circumstances, read the memo. Christ became poor that I might be rich. Not rich in an extravagant or ostentatious way, but rich in the fullness of life. Yes. If, if someone is telling you that you have a stigma, tell him, haven't you read the memo? The blood of Jesus has washed me clean and made me right with God. Read the memo. And whatever your circumstances or anyone is telling you that doesn't line up with the memo, tell them to read the memo. The memo is in the Word of God. It is what the Word of God says that you are, that you are. You are beloved. You are blessed. You are ransomed. You are redeemed. You are healed. You are made whole. You have the fullness of life, an abundance of life, the superabundance of life. You, are, you have purpose in your life. You will be used by God. You're destined for greatness. You're not vanquished. You're a victor. You are victorious. You're not falling. You are risen. Tell them to read the memo. That's what the memo says about you. That's what the book says about you. That's what the words of God say about you. And it is your responsibility to speak those words to those circumstances, to that situation, to that mountain, to that difficulty, until it changes. And can I end by saying that sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes you have to chip away with the word of God. It's like a hammer. But believe me, if you're speaking that word and the Spirit is brooding over that word, that mountain must give way, that circumstance must change, that door must open, that thing must turn around, that darkness must recede. It must change to align with the word of God because it's not the word of a man. It's the word of the creator of the ends of the earth. The Alpha and Omega is the word of the almighty God, the everlasting Father. It's the word of God to whom all power belongs. If you speak it by the Spirit, it surely must come to pass. But speak it, you must. And the challenge is that sometimes we don't know what to speak. Because if we don't read, study, meditate on the word of God, if his words don't abide in us, then we can't speak it. And if we can't speak the word of God, then the enemy has us for sport in life. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the awesomeness of your word, the power of your word. 
We give you all the praise and all the glory. Help us to stay in your word, study it, meditate on it, and then confess it to change our circumstances. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I hear a word of God in my spirit for someone. And the word says that he sent his word and it healed you and saved you from destruction. And if you're that person, wherever you are, receive that word and in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, may the Spirit of God, the change agent, come upon you now and may sickness and disease yield to the power of the word. Go and speak that word that you are healed in the name of Jesus. Amen. That just dropped in my spirit for someone who is listening. And so, as I end, if there's anyone out there who hasn't made their peace with God, you can't say these words as the word of God until you are the child of God. And then, you can declare these words. And so if you would like to settle that, become a child of God, settle it once and for all. You want to give your life to Jesus. You want to accept him as Lord and Savior. I'd love to pray with you now as you open your heart and receive him, Jesus, into your life. If you would just say with me this simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I receive your son Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I make a commitment and I ask for your Spirit to help me to turn away from anything that I'm doing that is not pleasing to you, to live a life that is pleasing to you. I ask, Heavenly Father, that as I receive your Son Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I thank you for receiving me into your household, into your family. I declare, Father, by this prayer that I am now a child of yours. I'm now, by this prayer, born again into your family. And I thank you for it, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look forward to next week. Sunday, because we are going to go on to part two of the power of words, and we're going to be talking about words, not words that are spoken, uh, but words that are in our minds. That promises to be an exciting session as we deal with the issue of words. God bless you. Enjoy Thanksgiving. 